You can take out your Bibles, return with our journey with Jesus and the disciples to the Mount of the Beatitudes there on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. As he continues this monumental list of these amazing attributes, one adding on top of the other. We're getting to some tough things, some difficult things. And so tonight, probably nothing the world yearns for more than peace. You talk to people, doesn't matter what walk of life they happen to be in, doesn't matter where they live, makes no difference their living conditions or whether they're rich or poor. Almost universally, if you ask for one substantive thing that people would wish for and hope for and ask for and dream for, they would ask for peace. So tonight, Matthew chapter 5, simply verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be like God's chosen children. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be well spoken of by God the Father as his children. Those of you that are here tonight and you have children, one of the proudest moments in parenting is when your children have accomplished something in life for which you as a parent, not in the wrong way, but in the right way, can say, that's my son. That's my daughter. That's my child. It's one of the most joyful things you go through as a parent crazy how we go as, as parents to all those, you know, ridiculous school assemblies, you know, where they pass out the little awards for the most pieces of bubble gum not chewed in a single semester, you know, the good attendance awards. It's no longer perfect attendance. It used to be perfect attendance. Now it's I wasn't delinquent, and you get an award for it. Or those wonderful poster contests that they have where 95% of the kids that, you know, begin to write, you know, they, they can't draw anything. But as a parent, you look at the efforts of your children and you go, that's my child. That's the inference here. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be by Abba Father called my children. Interesting concept, because these two things being linked together, God's kids and being peacemakers. If you think about the chief attributes of God, certainly the top would be love. Then you could go through really that list that we call the fruit of the Spirit, or the fruits of the Spirit, 
love being the first part of that. But it's joy, peace, amen? It's one of those things that comes as the outflow of someone's life who's really in Christ. Jesus himself is the prince of, amen? Tonight, blessed are the peacemakers, for God will own them in a wonderful, God-honoring way as his kids. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this evening, and Lord, with all the things that we could be doing, Lord, we ask that for those of us that have gathered here tonight, just simply to worship you, to proclaim who you are, Lord, to study your word, this one simple verse that really challenges us at the core of our being, God, we pray that you'd speak to us tonight through the power of your word. God, bless us with your presence. Anoint this time, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Interesting little story. Comes from Fort Worth, Texas. It was a number of years ago. But you may have remembered that there was a string of arson fires during the summer that were actually set. I think there was almost 40 of them ultimately, but 30-something of them that were set all over the state, mostly in West Texas. There were grass fires, a few trailers, some things got destroyed. But as those fires were investigated, it was learned that the ones who set those fires were actually firefighters. And when asked what were they thinking, the guys that had started all these fires said, well, we just didn't have anything to do and we wanted to get the red lights flashing and the bells clanging and the sirens going. Christians aren't supposed to start fires, they're supposed to put them out. Christians aren't supposed to be responsible for warfare, they're supposed to bring an end to warfare. And we're talking about the spiritual kind. The result of that is when you capture a person's heart, you get to the rest of them. But if you don't capture a person's heart, if the heart isn't changed, then actions come and go. That's why programs of all kinds of different types very rarely produce lasting results. If you're looking at somebody to, you know, just simply hold you accountable, you'll figure out a way around the accountability. If you're looking to be engaged in some type of behavior externally that will pressure your situation to go a specific direction, eventually it will fail. Almost 100% of the time. You have to change a person's heart in order to change their actions. That's the context of these Beatitudes. There was a misprinted button. came actually from the Chicago Peace Museum. And it said, and you can see the irony here, beat your enemies into plowshares. It's supposed to be beat your swords into plowshares. And it says beat your enemies. That's the way some people uh, go after the effort of peacemaking. And it's so not the Lord. When we look at our world in the last 4,000 years or so of human history, there have been less than 300 years of what we would call peace. 
Well, there hasn't been massive, major conflict uh, all over the globe. We look at our world today, the new Iranian nuke deal. Uh, the Middle East could erupt at any time. Saudi Arabia announced today that it would end the bombing of, of the rebels in Yemen, the Houthi rebels in, in Yemen for five days so that humanitarian aid could go in. We've watched Israel respond to rocket attacks in Gaza time and time and time and time again. Almost five and a half thousand rockets have been launched from Palestinian controlled areas into Israel in the last four years. We have our own troops stationed all over the world. We still have troops from the Korean War stationed on the 38th parallel. There was a period of time, and I, I think like some of you that are, those of us who are a little older, shall we say, my grandfather belonged to the John Birch Society. For those of you that don't know the John Birch Society, they were like the right-wing nuts of the 1960s. They believed everybody was evil. They trusted no one. Very pro-America, but very loopy in the head. My grandfather built not one, but two atomic bomb shelters on our property. I grew up in that day and time where in San Diego County you could drive over to Nevada to the Nellis Air Force Base and you got far enough away you could actually watch them set off nuclear weapons we lived in a day and time where we used to have some of you remember these the old civil defense drills to where there was going to be an impending nuclear attack and you were told to get under your desk like that was going to do some kind of good <laughs> the world yearns for peace as we sit here tonight the United States and Russia, between the two of us, we have over 400 ballistic missile submarines of varying types, lengths, sizes, capacities. One of our tridents carries enough nuclear capacity to unleash all of the devastation of all of World War II, one submarine. We have 16 of them. The world yearns for peace. What's the answer? What was Jesus getting at? Right now there's 50 civil wars underway all over the globe. 50 of them. More than half of the African continent tonight is in civil war. Six and a half, seven million African citizens have lost their lives in the last 10 years. We don't even hear about it. The lack of peace has become so prevalent in the world that unless hundreds of thousands of people die, nobody even takes notice anymore. The world longs for peace. Can I tell you the source of peace is not a government. The source of peace is not a peace treaty. The source of peace is not the UN. The source of peace isn't our Congress. The source of peace 
It's not found in some governing body of world officials that will gather together and somehow broker an agreement. The source of peace is the Prince of Peace. And as God's kids, we're supposed to be peacemakers. And when we are, God says, those are my kids. And the first way that we address that peace is by seeking to fulfill the Great Commission. Because until people are made disciples and they understand what real peace is, that's internal peace. That's not just a lack of struggle. It's not a lack of conflict. It's being ruled over by the Prince of Peace because he changes the way we think. The way we act comes after the way we think, and it comes after a change of heart. Someday the Lord's going to peek his head back through the clouds. He's going to usher in that kingdom of peace. But right now, we stand on the brink of a world that's ready to blow itself to bits. China's building an island in the Sea of Japan. I just put a military airstrip on it. It's in international waters. U.S. planes flying over it get chased off almost every day. Who knows when that's going to happen? You have a, a crazy kid that governs a nuclear-armed nation in North Korea. He is a crazy child. He's got his finger on nukes. Why is there no peace? I believe there's two reasons. One is direct opposition by Satan himself. His system, which is our world. And the second is disobedience to God's word and God's will by mankind. And it plays out in those three arenas that we know. They are the world itself, its system. Our own flesh, because sometimes we're kind of warlike, aren't we? Now you're sitting there saying, well, Jeff, I haven't started any wars. But are you argumentative unnecessarily? Are you critical of other people? Are you a negative person most of the time when you could say something that edifies and builds up, does it always somehow turn into what have you done for me lately? You know what I'm saying. Because that stirs up strife. We don't have economic peace. We don't have religious peace. We don't have racial peace. We don't have social peace. We don't have family peace. We don't have personal peace in this world because the Prince of Peace is not governing all those areas. The Prince of Peace governs in some of those areas in some people's lives. And so you can see how the answer really is people coming to Christ so that the same Prince of Peace is governing all. That's why when Christians tell me, well, I don't vote. I say, well, that's kind of silly. Why would you not want to get engaged in the process that's going to put somebody in office that's going to control your ability to preach Christ? To proclaim the Prince of Peace. You've got to get involved in every area, every aspect of life. There was an article that came out quite some time ago. It was talking about the number of known wars that have happened since a little before the time of Christ. Actually, about 36 B.C. is when they started. So roughly the Hellenistic period, Greek rule of the world at that time. From then till today, you realize there's been almost 20,000 known wars 
during that period of time? In 2,000 years, there's been 20,000 different armed conflicts. Do the math. That averages out more than 10 a year. That's major conflicts where 1,000 people or more die on the battlefield. It's crazy. And 70 or so wars just since the end of World War II. Right now, tonight, as we sit here, you realize that almost 100 of 196 nations in the world are at war somewhere. The world's aching for peace. I believe it comes from a very recognizable source that we have so much conflict, and it's us. It's human nature. It's people. It's that philosophy of me first, I'm the one that matters. It's the philosophy that says self is first and foremost. And when you take that and you spread it out a little further and you have one family that feels it's superior to another family, you have a little bit of a war. And if there happens to be enough families in one group, in one nation, then it's a nation against a nation. And if it happens to be more than that, it turns into a global conflict. It's actually quite simple. Selfishness is a lack of the peace of God. It's also a lack of faith. Because when we have faith, we lose the emphasis of, of self. We start to believe, Lord, you have this under control. And so the seventh beatitude calls us to be peacemakers in our world. In John chapter 14, if you want to turn there, John 14, pick up in verse 27. Jesus speaking, and he's talking to the disciples, he's giving them a little bit of a last minute instruction, he's encouraging them, and he says in verse 27 of John 14, peace I leave with you. What in the world was he talking about? Peace I leave with you? He's talking about a world that was governed by one of the most vicious, brutal, governing authorities to ever walk on this planet, the Romans. My peace I leave with you. And if you look at it from our limited human understanding, you, you can almost see the irony in it. You can almost imagine the disciples are saying, are you kidding me? Have you wandered around the city of Jerusalem much? Have you been anywhere outside of this room that we're in together? I mean, have you actually read the newspaper, Jesus? Gone online, read a little blog about where the world is yet? Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give you. Let not your heart be troubled, and neither be afraid. For you've heard me say to you that I'm going away and coming back to you. For if you loved me, you would rejoice, because I said I'm going to the Father, and my Father is greater than I. You see, he was talking about a very different kind of peace than the absence of conflict. Amen? Because that conflict was going to go on for a long time. It really wouldn't be for almost another 400 years until the Emperor Augustine would actually come to a relationship with Christ. It would be 4, 
hundred more years of misery for Christians. And yet he said, my peace I leave with you. Why? Because every last one of you is a peacemaker. You're here tonight and you're in Christ Jesus. You're supposed to be one who confronts problems, seeks to solve them. After the problem is solved, you're supposed to be building relationships. You're the one that struggles against pain and against hardship. You offer that source of internal healing that the world is desperate for. Peace isn't coming through kings. It's not coming through diplomats. Not humanitarian aid. All those things can be good at times, by the way. There's nothing wrong with humanitarian aid. Humanitarian aid is great. But humanitarian aid will never solve the problem with the world. It's only a personal relationship with Jesus Christ that changes the heart of mankind. That may seem harsh. That may seem too narrow. That may seem like that can't be the answer. But it is the answer. And Jesus himself said it was. You see that interpersonal peace that comes to our souls. It becomes something that you own and I own. And you can walk through that storm. Do you remember when Jesus was in the boat with the disciples and he got out of the boat and he pushed them out into the storm? you remember that scene? Saying like, I'll meet you on the other side of the lake. You guys just go for a little row. Head out onto the sea. Go out on the lake. Go out there on Gennesaret. He says, you guys, I'll, I'll walk around. I'll meet you over there. The disciples are in the boat, and the winds began to howl. Storm raged. They believed they were going to die. Peter, in all of his previous episodes of bravery, is whimpering like a kid in the bow of the boat. It's like, we're going to die out here. I can't believe he pushed us out here. Do you remember what Jesus said when he finally walked on the water to them? He said to the storm, Peace, be still. Why? Because he's the Prince of Peace. He's the one that commands the entire universe. And when he's in control of the situation, by you being in control of him, he he controls you. You're like this with Jesus. All of a sudden, you become that emissary of peace. There are four things that we can kind of look at, ponder about, if you will, about God's peace. First of which is its meaning. It's the righteousness, it's the truth of God implanted into the life of a believer. When you have the fullness of God's truth, God's word, His will, His way implanted in your life. You have peace. It's the answers that you need. Stabilizes you in every situation. You don't get anxious for anything. Second thing is its maker. And it's really only God that can bring that kind of peace. Isn't it funny how people look for peace in all kinds of different things? And it's so elusive. It was the United Nations was founded... The hope was eventually as an international body that everyone would get together and they'd all sit around and, you know, address each other. If we just talked it all out, 
if we worked through the details of all of the world's issues, and if we just gathered together as mankind, that somehow the world would be at peace. Hasn't quite worked out that way, has it? It's because the true source of that peace is not involved in those negotiations. Amen? He's not. I'd love to tell you that everyone who sits in the UN is a believer in Christ, but they're not. You can see the results of it. They fight over it. They haggle over it. They produce things like the World Health Organization, which is so grossly inefficient that most of the money that it gives doesn't actually put medicines anywhere in the world. It's bloated with all kinds of spending problems. It's because God's the source of peace. It's messengers. A third thing. It's you. That's me. It's the church. We are the messengers of God's peace to this world. Because when you come across somebody who's going through a difficult situation, it doesn't matter whether it's one person or two people or ten people or even a, a state or a nation. Maybe it's global. Jesus Christ is the source of peace. And it's interesting, if you look at things that are going on in your world and you just apply God's word to it, you can actually see, at least in your own heart, your own mind, how the Lord himself could solve each one of these conditions if he were allowed to. And a fourth thing, the merit of that peace is really what God is after. He actually wants to be the fulfillment of that peace. Do you remember how man's time here on this earth started? It started with the peace of God in the garden of God, didn't it? Absolute 100% peace. What was the one thing that messed up that peace? Man's selfishness. Man's selfishness. Adam and Eve, both in their own part. Eve first, followed by Adam. I don't really trust this God guy. I think he might be lying to us. He's trying to keep us from something really awesome. So we'll just do what we want. And the forfeiture was the peace that they previously had. So now mankind walks in that sin, walks in that depravity. So as you start linking all these things together, you can see how as we get to the seventh of these beatitudes, a truly blessed person is is destitute, helpless in the realm of the Spirit. And, And if you're desperate for those things, God will fill you. Yours becomes the kingdom of heaven, the truly blessed person who's mourning over their sin, who really sees your life the way you should see it, gets encouraged and strengthened by the consolation of the Lord. The truly blessed person who is also a meek person, ultimately ends up owning everything. You see right now, it's the most powerful nation on the earth that controls everything. During the 1960s, on into the 70s, all the way through the Cold War to the the middle of the 1980s, 1986, the United States, Russia, had a doctrinal position regarding nuclear warfare. And it was known by the acronym of, of MAD. It was simply Mutually Assured Destruction. Basically, the reason that there was peace in the world is we can kill you and you can kill us so everything's fine. I don't think that's peace. 
It's not peace when you have the sword of Damocles hanging over your head, strung by the single hair of an ox. And all it takes is a quiver of somebody's hand to send the axe flying. The truly blessed are hungering and thirsting for righteousness because they themselves shall be filled. They'll be completely satisfied. The truly blessed people are, are merciful. And you can see how all these things tie together. Because we are the objects of God's mercy. We're pure in the sphere of the Spirit so that we can see God. We know who He is. We know where the answers lie. We can garner those answers. All we need to do is read it. Tell us how to live our lives. And we make peace now because of those things. Peace really, in a relational sense, is the highest good of mankind, isn't it? Think about it for a second. In a relational sense, the evidence of God at work in the lives of people is peace with everyone else. Because when you see yourself in need of grace, when you see yourself spiritually destitute, when you see yourself as a mess, when you see yourself in need, when you understand that you yourself are the recipient of grace, that you yourself have get, been given mercy, when you yourself have had God pour into your life or you'd have nothing, when you see yourself correctly, the result of that is peace with other people because you don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to. You recognize you're needy and so is everyone else. And so it's very easy then to have peace with other people. We're all in the same boat, so to speak. And so when we look at the, the real problem, the troublemaker is, is, is the enemy, it's the devil. When you see a lack of peace, it's also a lack of the presence of God. Satan's against anything that makes peace. It's against you being kind, it's against you being gentle, it's against you being meek and humble, caring about other people. And yet, the Lord made peace for us, didn't he? Isn't that what we celebrated this morning at Communion? God made peace for us. He sent Jesus into the world that the world through him would be saved. Amen? Thus making peace. Taking care of the wrath of God. See, the wrath of God was upon you and upon me. Without Christ, we were headed straight, one-way road, right to the abyss. We had no peace with God. And so he provided that peace for us. 1 John chapter 2. Jesus is declared as the righteous one and as the propitiation for our sin. And that word means to turn away by wrath, or turn away that wrath by, by the means of an offering. In other words, he paid the price. Very similar to the word redemption. Makes a perfect sacrifice for us. That's how we have peace. If you sacrifice for other people, you have peace. We don't like to sacrifice. We like to have it all our way. When we do, we generally are doing the enemy's work. You ever notice how when you're selfish, you almost always have battles? You can see this in marriage. When you act selfishly, you end up having all kinds of battles in marriage. Amen? If you're married here, you can say amen. If you act selfishly in marriage, you're going to have warfare in your marriage. Because here's what happens. By default, if one of you wins and one of you loses, you both lose. Amen? That's what happens. 
There can only be one winner. And so if you seek to only have one winner, if you act out selfishly, you will get warfare. That's what will happen. Now, maybe light, small arms warfare. It may be a war of words. It may be little snippy attitudes. But it will nonetheless not be peace that will govern your home. And the same is true for almost every aspect in every area of life. When you don't do things God's way, you end up with warfare. You end up having those times and it's like, ah, I don't know why things are so messed up right now. And then you look back, oh, well, I wasn't a whole bunch like Jesus. It was a lot like me, but not much like him. Jesus addressed that issue in Mark's Gospel in chapter 7, verse 20. It says, it's what comes out of a man that defiles a man. It's actually not that. It's what comes from within, out of the heart of man that precedes evil thoughts and adulteries and fornications and murders and thefts. And then he goes on to get to the heart of the issue, covetousness and wickedness and deceit and lewdness and an evil eye and blasphemy and pride. You see, we start talking about sin, we'll all name the Big Ten. You know, we'll go right down the list. Well, you know, if they're one of those, of course they ought to go to hell. But boy, when it gets down to contentiousness or a mean-spiritedness or a strife-maker or a gossip, we're like, we don't see that as not making peace. We, we see that, well, you know, it's just uh, it's my survival techniques. I've learned how to be, you know, snippy. It's a spiritual gift, the gift of snippiness. And we wonder why we don't have peace with anybody. Because it's not Jesus. Foolishness. All evil things, Jesus said, come from within. And that's what defiles mankind. So the lack of peace we can see in these other things that are not from the Lord. Change has to take place. That fruit of the Spirit comes from within. And then when you're filled with peace, then the, the outflow of that it becomes obvious. Peacemakers show that they're God's children. Abba Father's going, those are my kids. You can see by the way they have peace around them. You can see how they have peace in their own life. They bring peace in other people's lives. They're not, they're not troublemakers. They don't start fires. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18, And now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. He gave us the ministry of reconciliation. In other words, bringing two warring factions together. Do you get that? The ministry of reconciliation is bringing warring factions together so there's peace. He's given us that reconciliation. We're supposed to take that into the world into our relationships with other people. Namely, that in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. You see, that's how he did it. He reconciled us, gave us peace through grace. We didn't earn it. I didn't earn the peace of God. You see, sometimes we think about peace just like we think about actual warfare on the battlefield. It's the superior force who conquers the other force, who takes the most ground, kills the most enemy soldiers. That's the winner, and then you have peace. Think about it for a second. That's no way to have peace, is it? 
People have to die for that kind of peace constantly. Christ already died so that we could have peace. Christ already died so that we could have peace. And therefore we are ambassadors of Christ through God, making an appeal through us. And we beg you, Paul said, on the behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God, because that's what will fix your relationships with everybody else. You see, when you see yourself correctly, and that's what Jesus is getting at, when you see yourself correctly, as he's talking to the disciples, he's talking to this multitude, this group gathered around him, he said, if you guys will see yourself correctly, every other relationship will fall into place. Isn't it crazy when you look at your own life and you go, man, do I need the grace of God. You're a whole lot more gracious in other people's lives, aren't you? I am. When I see myself correctly, when I look at other people's faults, I go, that's nothing compared to me. My need is every bit as great as everyone else's. And so I'm not looking to point out their faults. I'm not looking... To, to have the gift of discouragement every single time I meet somebody. Here, brother, let me tell you what's wrong with your life. Sister, of course you're going through a tough time because you have this, 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 and this are all wrong with you. And that's just right now. That doesn't bring peace. The Holy Spirit is able to bring peace because the Holy Spirit's perfect. Peacemakers seek to live at peace with other people. Romans 12 says this, verse 17, Repay no one evil for evil. Amen? Regard good things in the sight of all men. If it's possible, as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place for wrath for his written vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay, says the Lord, and therefore be at peace. You see, when we see things through God's eyes, it makes the task of being a peacemaker a a whole bunch easier. We can use our influence to affect reconciliation between the Lord and other people. We can use it to bind the wounds of people groups. If anyone was ever a transformed troublemaker, it would be the Apostle Paul. Amen? When he was Saul of Tarsus, he was not a nice guy. You're talking about the man that held the clothes of Stephen while he was being stoned. And Stephen says about him, well, don't hold it against him. And Saul's over there just breathing threats of murder. He heads off to Damascus on the Damascus road. The Lord meets him there, and he's still fighting. He's still breathing threats and murder. And yet Paul goes out into the world as a peacemaker, doesn't he? If ever a man was a peacemaker, other than Jesus, it was Apostle Paul. You know what's going to happen if you're a peacemaker? Let me give you a few things that are going to happen, and they're negative. People are going to misunderstand you. People are going to hate your guts. They're totally going to not like you because you're a peacemaker. It is the craziest thing, but when you try and act as the Lord would act in the situation, and you actually tell somebody that they really need to forgive that brother, that sister, that husband, that wife, that child, when you say, you know what, we really as God's kids need to actually live it out, we need to be peacemakers. When you tell them that, they get super mad. Well, you weren't there. You don't know what they said. If you would live with that, you know, you'd feel differently if you just walked in my shoes. 
And here's what you can say. You're right. I would feel differently about your human situation if I had walked in your shoes. Here's the good news. Jesus did walk in your shoes. Exactly in your shoes. And in fact, he gave his life a ransom for many. So that through the cross of Christ, you could be reconciled to God. You still need to be reconciled to other people. You need to be a peacemaker. People are going to get furious at you. And here's why. You're going to disarm them. You're going to take the argument that they have. Because their argument is they deserve to be exactly as they are. Mean-spirited, angry, bitter, hateful, reviling, vile individuals who speak evil of other people. They feel that they're justified because of some wrong that they have undertaken. And it's true, wrongs never feel good. But as a child of God, because we have been forgiven much, we must forgive. We can do nothing else. We need to be peacemakers. They're going to condemn you. They will even hate you. I can't even tell you how many times I've been in marriage counseling and the marriage is falling apart and the husband and the wife will usually one or the other will come to me first and I'll say, I'll see you once by yourself but the second time I want both of you in my office. And the moment I bring both of them into the office, the gloves come off. Well, you know, he's a rotten, and well, she, and, and like, and I, and I will usually say something to the effect, if you actually listen to each other, you both have exactly the same problem with the other person. And the same answer applies to both. Yes, he's a sinner, and yes, you're a sinner, and, and you both need to repent of your sin and be reconciled to each other. They get super mad. They look at like neck veins bulge out. It's like, what are you saying? We have to be. Yes, that's exactly what Jesus would want. He hates divorce. So let's see, you've got two options. You can stay together and be married, or you can get a divorce. God hates the second one. Which one do you think you should do? It's like, then they want to kill the peacemaker. But it's so like Jesus, because that is what he wants. He delights in reconciliation. He delights in restoration. He delights in revitalization. He loves reformation. And any other R words you can think of that are good. But we're prone to be bearers of gossip, prone to be bad news givers. We're prone to hang on to negative things. You know, in my time in ministry, I've sat down with a lot of people, and they have hung on to stuff for decades. I actually know people who still claim to hate people who are dead. That's helpful. Yeah, I waste all my time and energy hating someone who's already dead. They won't even make peace with themselves, between themselves and God. They're so bent on carrying around anger and hate and bitterness and hostility and resentment 
that they refuse to work on the source of the problem, which is us. It's how I handle it. It's what I do with it. You cannot stop bad things from happening to you, family of God. You can't. You can't. Neither can I. But you can control what you do with those bad things. You can decide whether you're going to count it in that category of a joyous opportunity to watch God work in your life, and that's what it means to count it all joy. It doesn't mean it's good. It doesn't mean, oh, yay, I just got run over by a car. I'm so glad. It, it means that you can decide where you're going to place it in the category of life things before the Lord. You can make peace. We have to decide to make that love our priority. We have to decide in ourselves, just as Paul would write, as much as it lies with you, be at peace with all men. See, for your side, you can be at peace. You can't make other people be at peace, but you can be at peace. And you can be an example to everyone else. There's a little story in Philippians, and it's actually the basis of some of the most... uh, cherished verses in all of the Bible. But in the beginning of Philippians chapter 4, it's the story of these two ladies, Iodia and Syntyche. And they've got some issues. they kind of like got the little warring faction. And in fact, they're actually both good. And it speaks of, rather fondly, actually, of them. It says, and I urge you there in verse 2, also the, the, of these ladies, to help these women speaks of them uh, that have labored with Paul in the gospel and with Clement also, the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. And then it says, let your gentleness be known to all men for the Lord is at hand. And then it says, be anxious for nothing. It's talking about these ladies who had a problem. It's saying, look, there's, there's something going on between them. Help them. Make your request known to God. Be anxious for nothing. But verse 8, there's some keys there in this whole concept of being peacemakers. Look at these concepts. You want to be a peacemaker? Here's how to do it. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true. Whatever things are true. And that's not just having the facts right. That's having the facts right in the eyes of the Lord. Because you can have the facts right and handle them really wrongly. Amen? Amen. I don't know if you can do it. I can. I can be absolutely 100% accurate and still be totally and completely wrong in the way I implement those facts. Anybody ever do that? Yeah? If If you got children, I guarantee you've done it. The kids are off the reservation. They have gone... They interviewed with Satan for a job. And you know it. And you know they're wrong. And you can list the 114 reasons why they're wrong. And you just rip into them from one end of next week to this end of this week. And boom. Booyah. Take that, punk. <laughs> got totally right. Totally right. You got all the facts. Bing, bing. You check the box. Got it. But you do it without love, 
You do it without care. You do it without concern. You crush their spirit. You cause them to not see the Lord in it. You make them think the Lord hates them. You think, make them think they can do no further good and they might as well just end their lives now because they have so disappointed mom and dad that their life, as far as they're concerned, is over. See, you can be totally right and absolutely unrighteous in the way you handle it. And so finally, verse 8, Philippians 4, brethren, that's us, body of Christ, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, kingly characteristics, the King of kings, the Lord of lords would say yes and amen to the way you think on that. Whatever things are just, absolutely accurate in the weighing of those things, just in the eyes of the Lord, whatever things are pure, that they have the character of Christ through and throughout. Whatever things are lovely, that you could actually say of how you think of that person in a way, look, I, I, I love you and, and I absolutely want the very best for you. Whatever things are of a good report. You see, you can have bad facts and present, and present them uh, in a way that, that's good. And you can have good facts and present them in a way that's bad. But you want to have a good report. You want, you want to speak those things in a way that they can be received and that somehow some godly good will come out of them. You can have your eyes on Jesus in presenting those things. If there's any virtue, that's a characteristic of God. It, it means to be upright and, and upstanding. If there's anything praiseworthy, in other words, it would actually bring honor to the Lord to even speak of it in the way that you're thinking of it. Meditate on those things. Things which you've learned and received and heard and saw in me, these things do. And then it says, the God of peace will be with you. See, when it's internal, when I look to me first and I say, you know what, Lord, help me to sort through these facts correctly. Help me to present them not just accurately, but lovingly and kindly and, and in a way that they would bring you honor and praise with purity. You see, just like these two ladies, they had some issues. Everybody's got issues. I haven't met a person yet. I have not yet a pers- met yet a person. I haven't met a single one that doesn't have some issues. Not one human being have I met in my entire life who doesn't have some issues. Some people have more issues than others. Some people, you know, they're like, they're like super issue people. Matter of fact, they've got enough issues for several people. But almost everybody's got, I, I haven't met one that doesn't have issues. Stuff that you go, man, what's, what is wrong with you? Don't you see that's an issue? You can see other people's issues, can't you? And they can see yours. And you are blind to your issues, and very often they're blind to their issues. You need to help them be reconciled to God and their issues. Not just simply point out what their issues are. You know, when people are hurting, let me tell you what you don't say to them. You got issues. (laughs) They already know that. That's not a revelation. It's also not kind. It's not praiseworthy, it's not of a good report, it's not virtuous, it's not lovely. I like to think on it this way, you know back in the day when I did radio programming and on-air tags and those types of things, you know as we used to do those on the old 
actual reel-to-reel tape decks, and you'd sit there and you'd find sneezes and stuff, and you'd actually cut them out. You know, I used to think, man, this is just terrible, because every single fault a pastor has comes out in the recording. If you pop peas, if you sneeze... You know, if you breathe too hard through your mouth and not through your nose, if you have words that you mispronounce, you know, because up here you know what the word is and somehow it comes out here and it's like some foreign language. You know exactly what you want to say and somehow it doesn't come out. And I I remember sitting there listening and go, man, I am sure glad that life isn't like that. That there's a constant ongoing recording of your life because if it were ever played back to most of the rest of the world, how ashamed would we be? How ashamed would we be? See, God wants us to be a peacemaker. Can you imagine if every one of your recorded, your, your, your conversations with anyone and everyone, even though we're recorded, and then played back to that person. Do you think what you said would be peacemaking? Or would it tear their soul out? Would it cause them to go, man, you must really hate me. Or when you think about all of your stuff and the things that you fall short in, the things that you don't, do all that well yourself. If there are a video recording of everyone driving, think of that. Think of that. You all know those radio stations you have programmed on your satellite radios that you only listen to when you're driving. And you're just singing away to that garbage you used to listen to when you were in high school. And then you think about the words and go, oh, I shouldn't say that. You see, we all have issues. And it's a good thing other people don't know about our issues. We need to be peacemakers. In being a peacemaker, we're doing the right thing at the right time. We have the worship team come back up. I'm going to leave you with a little story. It actually came from Decision Magazine almost two decades ago. It's actually a little story from Corey Ten Boom. And she was at a church service in Munich, Germany. And for those of you that don't know, Corey was imprisoned at the prison camp at Ravensbrück. And she was held there with her sisters. She was at a processing center there, and one of the first things that happened to her, she went on to recount uh, in this article and decision. And she said, Our first social contact with the jailers that we had had when we were in prison was that day in church. And all I can remember was a room full of mocking men and heaps of clothing and my sister's pain blanched face. And as the church was emptying, he came up to me and he said in German how grateful I am for your message Fraulein I think that 
as you would say, God has washed away my sins. And this man thrust out his hand to her. And she said, it was I who had preached so often the need to forgive, and I kept my hand at my side. I was angry, I was vengeful, my thoughts boiled through me. I saw the sin of all of it. I kept fighting within myself. Jesus died for this man. Was I going to ask him to die again? She tried to smile. She struggled to raise her hand. She just couldn't do it. She went on to say, I felt not the slightest spark of warmth or charity. Breathed the silent prayer. And she said, Jesus, I cannot forgive him. Give me your forgiveness. And as she took the man's hand, the most incredible thing happened. And she recounted from her shoulder along her arm through her hand, a current seemed to pass within her. Her heart sprang into a love-filled song. It overwhelmed her. She says, when God tells us to love our enemies, he gives us the love we're supposed to give. That's how we become peacemakers. We give out what the Lord gives us. It has to come from Him. And that's the reward of it all. For they shall be owned, spoken of well by Abba Father. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be proudly owned as the children of God. Amen? Let's stand. Have the prayer team come up. And I believe tonight there's undoubtedly some of us here who are struggling with peace. And it's affecting our relationship with the Lord, it's affecting our relationship with others, it's affecting our families. You want to let the peace of God guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. And so if you need prayer, we have some ladies up front as well. If you need to pray with a lady and you're here, and we want you to do that. If you don't know the Lord, then you have no idea what you're missing. But I want to encourage you. All you need to do is invite him in. And let the God of peace rule in your heart tonight. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this night. We thank you for your goodness shed abroad in our hearts. And pray now as we spend some time quietly before the throne of grace, just worshiping you and praying. Lord, I know there's some people here tonight. I, I know there are people here tonight who are struggling with unforgiveness and bitterness and anger and rage. They've been carrying it around and they have no peace themselves and they can't give peace to others because they don't have it. And so, Lord, I'm asking that you would set them free. That they would come and leave it at the altar. Lord, just be done with it and move on. Walk in that peace. Lord, we bless you, we praise you, we thank you, God, for what you're going to do. Thank you for this evening, Lord. 
We worship you, Jesus. Amen.